Well, brothers and sisters and friends, let me begin by thanking you for having me to preach this evening. It is a, a wonderful privilege to be with you again, especially on such a delightful opportunity and occasion for the Church of Jesus Christ here. And I do bring the very warm greetings of the saints at Maidenbower Baptist Church in Crawley, in West Sussex, in the southeast of England. Uh, even in the last few days, it's been a delight to uh, learn again of little overlaps and connections in the work of the kingdom and uh, to have a sense of uh, fellow laboring and cooperation with you all. I'd ask you to turn with me this evening, please, to the 90th Psalm. Psalm 90. It is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray briefly once more. Lord God, this is your church, and this is your word, your truth. We come for your gracious spirit to plead that he might presence himself among us, that you would lift up the light of your face upon us and shine, that we might know the, the presence of Christ by his Spirit with us, that you would encourage the heart of your servant, Mr. Makandawira, the other servants of Christ in this place, that this may be a time when we are humbled before you and lifted heavenward because of your mercy and grace. Hear us, O God, and bless us indeed. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your righteous servant. Amen. 
Christian service is hard work. Anyone who has sought to serve the Lord Christ knows well that that is the case. We fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. The Apostle Paul tells us, using slightly different language, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places, these dark spiritual forces. As we seek to serve the Lord God, we find that upward battle. We, we feel our own creatureliness. We feel our own sinfulness. We feel the strength of opposition. We are sometimes, even often, disappointed. I'm sure the man that you have just appointed as an elder, because you have reached the point at which you have appointed him to serve in that way, that he already understands something of the burden and the heat of the day. Because an unproven man would not be ready to serve in this way. Our Lord Christ himself, as the servant of God, knew something of that pain and distress in serving. Through Isaiah the prophet, he, he talked about uh, the, the sense of almost futility that he felt in the work at times, and yet he knew that his reward was with God. As you trace the footsteps of the incarnate Son on his earthly pilgrimage, you find him at times becoming disappointed or frustrated or grieved, not just with his enemies, but even at times with his friends. Haven't you understood yet? Haven't you seen it yet? In pastoral labor, there is that uh, sense at times, uh, you've, you've just sung about it, uh, of the opposition and the, the distress, the times when people will not listen, the investments that you might make over months or even years, only to have it thrown back in your face. Men of God down through the ages have sought to serve God and, and found it so. There's many a young man who's been called into office as a, an elder or a preacher who's wondered if perhaps he'll be the next Spurgeon or the next Whitfield. And inside of a week he's realized that he is not. John Newton is said to have gone to the town of Brighton, now the city of Brighton now on the south coast of England. And as he went there, the, the city had then, and really still has now, a, a reputation as a place of debauchery. And John Newton went claiming the promise that God had given to the Apostle Paul in Corinth. I have many people in this city. And within a few days, he came to the sad conclusion, I am not Paul. And Brighton is not Corinth. <laughs> there may be times... When the servant of God, whatever that role may be, whatever that work may be, will wonder, what is the point of the work that I am doing? Moments of particular confusion or disappointment. Perhaps seasons when things seem to be fruitless and failing. And despite all the effort, all the, the blood, sweat and tears of Christian labor, there seems to be nothing to show for all of our investments. We desire, do we not, to do lasting good. We want to see the glory of God in this place. We want to see the, 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 the investments that we make and the labors that we undertake bring forth something worth, worthwhile, 
and yet we find ourselves so feeble, so frail, and so fragile. Moses understood the frailty of mortal man, and he writes about it in this 90th Psalm. But Moses also understood the strength of the eternal God, and that was Moses' confidence and Moses' hope. Indeed, all the experience of this man of God, and it's possible that he's writing this toward the end of his life, it seems most likely, all his experience has proved that man is weak, but that God is strong. That man depends, and that God supplies. If you come toward the end of Moses' life, and you you think about his experience in the book of Numbers, it's recorded in chapter 20. Forty years Moses had been prepared in Egypt. Forty years then, out in the desert, until he had seen the I Am make himself known, sent back to Egypt. And then that great exodus event, where he brought up under, under God the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of the, the house of bondage. And he'd seen them struggle in those first days and weeks. And he'd seen God purge the nation so that now they stand on the borders of the promised land. And this is almost a new people. And do you know what they do? They more or less repeat the same complaints and sins as the people who'd come out of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses, in sinful anger, responds in a way that does not honor God. And he is no longer entitled to enter the promised land. Do you think he might have thought, what is the point? Do you think he might have felt something of the burden of a work that he he wondered if, if this had all been worthwhile? Still sin? Still death? Still ruin? Why do God's servants bother? Why are the elders and the deacons of this church still serving? Why are you still laboring for the glory of God? Why are you serving in various capacities in the church? Why do you give your money to the cause of the kingdom? Why do you serve in a Sunday school class? Why do you teach or preach if that's what God has given you to do? What is the point? Let me speak to you first of all this evening that the frail and sinful men have work to do. Frail and sinful men have work to do. Establish the work of our hands upon us. God has given to His people a work to accomplish. Now this is not generic effort. This is not just trying hard and, and working well. And it's certainly not about vain or wicked endeavors. It has to do specifically here with the work of the kingdom of God. A desire to see God's work, to see God's glory and beauty enduringly manifest. And for us to enter into that. For us to be in the incredible words that the Apostle Paul spoke, even co-laborers with God. And so the work of our hands here speaks to the whole labor of a godly man's life. It's a phrase that Moses himself uses fairly often in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to these brief references. First of all, Deuteronomy 14 and verse 29. The Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, 
They may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. It's a comprehensive statement. In chapter 16 of Deuteronomy and verse 15, you'll find the same. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you may surely rejoice. Then chapter 24 and verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Chapter 28 and verse 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And then chapter 30 and verse 9. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, as he rejoiced over your fathers. At least those five times... Moses characterizes the output of the servant of God, the work of your hands. It's earthy language, isn't it? We, we know what this is to get our hands dirty, to strive with our physical strength. And this is what God has given us to do. He has put a, a work in the hands of frail and sinful men. And that is what we desire if we are faithful members in the kingdom of heaven. We want to see a church that holds fast to the truth as it is in Jesus. We long to see growing holiness of life in every member of the church. We want to see a congregation that grows intensively, growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that grows extensively as sinners are gathered in to the kingdom of God through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. We want to invest what God has given to us to be faithful stewards of every grace and gift in accordance with His mercy. You heard that subtle shift, didn't you? In those last two charges that were given to our brother. Yes, I do. With all my heart, he answered repeatedly. Because these are things that before God, he knows and can state. But when he's called upon to say, I am going to do this work, what was the the beautiful qualification, the Lord granting me grace. A statement of dependence upon the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it is right for us to commit to serve the Lord God. He has given to every member of His body. That great head of the church, Jesus Christ, has bestowed upon every part of His spiritual body some work to carry out. And it is right for us to desire lasting good. It would be an insanity, wouldn't it, to work in expectation of no outcome. No one would do that. And neither need the child of God. We are to work in anticipation of blessing, in anticipation of favor. We want to see the blessing of the Lord roll down through the years and the generations. It's not enough, is it, for us to say, well, we're happy and we're blessed and maybe bad things will come, but we're doing okay. 
Do you not want to see this church of Jesus Christ? Would you not, if the Lord were to spare you, or perhaps to grant you to see, if He does not yet come, a hundred years from now, another generation who are still standing, still serving, still striving, more faithful men who perhaps remember some of the names from the past as you do in the histories that are recorded in your magazines and your books. You know who these men were. You know who you stood. You know your inheritance. You know that you are following in the footsteps of the faithful and you want others to do so also. We have a work to do and it is good and it is right that we should long to see it established. Has every Christian here thought about the work of your hands? Have you asked God for insight? Have you perhaps come to a faithful, mature Christian friend? Have you perhaps sat down with your elders? Said, pastors, please help me to know what is the work that God has put in my hands? How may I serve Him in my generation? To ask the question that the Apostle Paul did that moment when he understood that the glorious being who spoke to him on the road of Damascus was Jesus of Nazareth who was the Christ of God. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the cry of a converted soul. Lord, all that I am, all that I have, yes, weak and frail, but oh God, it is for You. You have made me what I am. Now take me and use me as You please. Because brothers and sisters, Your frailty and mine, that's no excuse. Your sin and mine, that is no excuse. Some of us will labor more publicly. Some of us will labor more privately. Some of us will do things that the world at large might see. Others will strive and serve in a sphere that God alone has His eye upon. But all of us have a work to do. Sinful and frail men have a work to do. But secondly, I want us to recognize, as Moses expresses here in this psalm, that the work of frail and sinful men is inherently unstable. The work of frail and sinful men is inherently unstable. Our weakness hinders us. I won't embarrass anybody by asking for a show of hands. Who's tired? <laughs> Who's tired all the time? Who remembers not being tired? and wonders how this came to be the new state of being where I'm simply tired. There's weariness. We cannot just press on 24-7. We cannot work every day of the week. Our, our weakness, our weariness sets in. Our mortality defeats us. The years pass. We get older and we feel the effects of the, the different ages and stages of life. Some of you will perhaps recall seasons where you could, you could work literally for hours at a time. I don't know if you have the phrase here. People in the UK talk, especially if they're at university, I pulled an all-nighter. I had to finish some particular project. Maybe they're in their first job and they've been, you know, I pulled an all-nighter. I didn't go home. I worked through the night. I was fueled on, I don't know, coffee and Red Bull or something like that. But yeah, I was fine the next day. And then there are others who will say, I remember being able to do that. 
and I can't any longer. My bones ache. I used to be able to to run and, and to lift and to engage in sports and I'd be fine the next day. I'd be ready to do it again. Now I'm lucky if I can open my eyes without hurting the day after. Folly weakens us. None of us is as wise as we imagine ourselves to be. We make mistakes of judgment. We think we're reading people accurately and then they either astound us or confound us. We think we can see the way through a problem and yet we stumble and fall. Sin cripples us. The best of intentions. Sometimes at the the moments when we want to be most consecrated to Christ, that's the moment when the devil is whispering in our ears. Some of you have been engaged in labours, holy service, and you find perhaps that's the very moment at which some of the most violent, foul of thoughts invade your heart, even come very close to coming out of your mouth. Where is this coming from? I'm being assaulted and tempted by the evil one. And too often there's a response in my heart. I'm enticed by the things that are dangled before me. Satan opposes. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is against Christ and His people. There's a sense in which he cannot touch the crowned head in heaven, but he can assault the body that is upon earth. And yes, our Lord was able to say to the man who would become his servant, Saul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting me? And he was speaking about the sufferings of his beloved saints as this man went around seeking to bring down the infant church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you feel Him at times standing against you at every turn. You may have heard of Martin Luther, the great German reformer, sitting at work at his desk and he picks up the inkwell and he throws it because he has such an immediate sense. He's he's a man full of imagination, intense in his thoughts and feelings. And it's as if the devil's there in the room with him. And he's trying to fight him off. Enemies undermine us. False friends. Those who teach another gospel. Those who name the name of Christ outwardly but are no true followers of His. Those who bring the world into the church of Jesus Christ. Our good intentions and our most impressive efforts. Sometimes what do they come to? Do you know the poem Ozymandias? by the English poet Percy Bysshe Shelley. It's quite a brief poem. A traveller goes out into the desert and there he finds a great stone plinth with two feet and two legs standing upon it. And the rest of this mighty statue is lying in the dust a short distance away. It's the last relic of a mighty emperor and his glorious empire and written on the plinth in this wilderness with the stones of the statue lying on their face in the ground look on my works you mighty and tremble that's all that's left of Ozymandias and his empire and Shelley ends with the dust of the desert blowing across the scene 
obliterating everything that was left of the work of man's hands alone. It gets better, brother. <laughs> but this, this is something we have to contend with. This is something we have to face. Because those are the moments when you wonder, do I just give up and walk away? Do I stop this teaching, this preaching, this pastoring, this serving, this laboring, this seemingly thankless and pointless task? Are you a preacher? Do you teach a Sunday school? Maybe the very youngest children or up to some of the older ones? Do you go onto the streets to preach about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you take your opportunities with family, with friends, with neighbors? Are you serving as a parent? That's often and easily overlooked, is it not? And yet there you are with your congregation always right there at your feet, seeking to invest in them for the coming generations, to teach them those things which God has commanded you, like Timothy's grandmother and mother, to, to pass on to your children or grandchildren those truths, those realities, saving truths concerning Christ in which you've trusted. Perhaps you're instructing, teaching, serving. You're an encourager. You're an exhorter. You know how to sit down next to someone who's finding things tough and you, you stir them up again to love and to good works. Or you have to admonish at times. You have to put a brother or a sister in mind of something that they are in danger of forgetting. Is it pointless? Are there going to be no lasting results? As God's servant sets out now formally and officially, having been recognized in the work that he has begun to do, to go on doing that work, is it all just a big sort of religious game? Are we just playing a role? Just performing a part? And nothing to expect? Is it vain to expect and to desire the gospel to spread in the world that God has made? Are we fools to think that the kingdom that God is building by our hands in this world will not and cannot last? Is Moses a bitter pessimist when he writes Psalm 90? Or is Moses a scriptural realist? You see, when we look at the work of our hands, if we're only looking to ourselves, if we're only relying upon our own apparent gifts, if we're thinking in terms of our own strength and wisdom, if we're relying upon our reputation or our numbers or our wealth, yes, it will all come to nothing. And when we look at what needs to be done, pride might assume, don't worry, I've got this covered. Nonsense. Fear might despair and say, why would I bother with any of this? There's no point anyway. But brothers and sisters, faith prays. Faith knows that we are frail. Faith understands that we are sinful. Faith appreciates that our work in this world, if it is left only up to us, is inherently unstable and would fall and fail like that statue in the wilderness. But faith prays like Moses at the end of the 90th Psalm. 
Let the beauty of the Lord our God, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, O God, establish the work of our hands. Here then are intense and persistent prayers for God's grace to bring about God's glory in the world. For God's favor to rest upon the labor of God's people so that God's honor may be exalted among us. To that end, my friends, we are not rivals, are we? We are fellow servants of God the Most High. Yes, some with a more public or prominent role. Others with a more private and reticent role. But what are we serving for? Not our own name. Not our own glory. Not even the reputation of this church, surely. But for the glory of Jesus Christ. For the honor of the God of our salvation. And the work that you and I do, it is not done for us. It is done for Him. It is offered to Him. It is in dependence upon Him. It is with expectation of Him. Oh God in heaven, that great eternal I am, eternal, infinite, unchangeable, altogether glorious. Oh God, in Your mercy, for Your glory's sake, will You establish the work of our hands. Oh Lord, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Weak we are. Frail and sinful creatures. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to mess up anything these hands get on. <laughs> but when it is offered to God, oh Lord, take it. Use it. Are you not the God who can bring good even out of evil? I am here, oh Lord, as your servant. Oh friends, if you could have heard the elders of the church before this meeting began... Oh God, who is sufficient for these things. But our sufficiency is of Christ. There's a confession in this prayer. Oh Lord, if it's only my work, it will never be established. But oh God, if You establish the work, if You undertake, if You accomplish these things, if You, oh God, root these realities, if You nurture, if You bless, if You sustain, if You advance, then, oh God, the work will last. Then those people to whom I'm speaking, those children whom I'm teaching, those friends that I'm encouraging or exhorting, then the Word will stick and take root in their souls. Then as I stand to preach the truth as it is in Jesus Christ, I depend not on human eloquence. I ask the Spirit of God to come and blow like that mighty rushing wind and to make alive that which has been dead. Oh God, establish the work of our hands. Our desire then is not for our own name but for the name of God Almighty. It is for the Lord's enduring splendor that God's servant has been set apart in this place. And my friend, just because you were not kneeling up here alongside of Him with the hands of men upon your shoulders does not mean that your work is any less significant in terms of what God has given you to do and where He has put you. You are serving for the glory of God. What if men despise and forsake you? You are serving for the glory of God. What if men think ill of you? You are serving for the glory of God. 
What if you labour for weeks, months, years, even decades, and it seems to have no return? Could you not still be praying, Lord, establish the work of our hands? There have been men who've gone to preach the gospel in places where it seems that they have seen no fruit from almost a lifetime of labor. But others have gone where they first went. They broke the ground. Others went after and sowed the seed. Men who died crying out, Lord, honor your truth. Glorify your name. Do you desire lasting usefulness? Not a great name that rolls down through the generations, but the fruit of the work that God has called you to do. Spurgeon, I think it was, close to his death, said that his name was about to be thrown to the dogs. <laughs> but a more distant generation would vindicate him. But it's not about being the next big thing. Our names, what are they? I think I can speak for your servant here this evening that his name be forgotten and that the name of Christ be exalted my friends this is all our desire we are his servants and we want to see what we do for his sake endure we want to see the church faithful now and for days to come we want to see those generations of believers we want to see people who are saved don't you want to see people get the truth as it is in Christ and then hold the truth as it is in Christ and then teach the truth as it is in Christ? Do you not long to see the, the ripples of grace flowing out from this church, from this people, from your homes, from your families? Do you not long to see the glory and honor of Christ? Do you not long to labor with purpose and with profit? My friends, it is only as we do it for God and cast the work upon His almighty shoulders. Oh God, establish the work of our hands. Commit then what you do to the Lord God. Whatever may be your place and purpose in this church, whatever work God has given you to do, however negligible it may seem, however hidden it may be, however prominent it may make you, whatever role it may provide, whatever opportunities it opens up, my friend, it cannot rest upon you. If it does, it will fail. But if you take it to your God, if you offer it to Him as a sacrifice with thanksgiving, Lord, here I am, take me. Take my hands and take my feet. Take my eyes and my ears. Take my mouth. Take my thoughts. Take all that I am and all that I have. Lord, use me. Use me for the glory of Your name. And establish the work of my hands. What is it that we work for? What is it that we pray for? 
Listen again to God's servant, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. Verse 9. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. What a wonderful way to work. <laughs> if I'm present, if I'm absent, regardless of who sees me or who knows, the eye of my God in heaven is upon me. I desire to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You see, my friend, if you're not even thinking of Christ this evening, the work of your hands is going to fall to the ground. If you're thinking of building your own empire, sorting out your own life, making your own way in the world, finding your ease and your comfort, attaining perhaps to some great prominence, seeking fame and fortune and everything that goes with it, I can tell you now what will happen to the work of your hands. <laughs> Even if you should have an empire like Ozymandias, generations to come will see nothing but two trunkless legs of stone in the desert and your self-glorying epitaph being erased by the dust and winds of the desert. It is the men of this world who ask, what is the point? But the servant of God, the child of God, the investor in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, like Moses, the man of God, conscious of his frailty, aware of the fact that the sons of men come again to the dust. What is their hope? What is their confidence? What is yours and mine? Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. That's what we desire. Brother, for every word that you speak, every sermon that you preach, every encouragement, every exhortation, every admonition, do it praying. Let the favor of my God rest upon these words. Those of you who belong to this congregation, those of you who belong to other churches, Wherever you go, however far you'll travel, it is God's work that you do. Do it with this prayer upon your lips and in your soul. Let the favor of the Lord my God be upon us. Offer it to Him. Lord, establish the work of our hands. Pray it over. Yes, O oh God, establish the work of our hands. Live not for your own glory, but for God's. C.T. Studd had a glorious career laid before him. I think he was a great sportsman and had many gifts and graces. I believe it was him who wrote the words, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for God will last. A man who turned his back upon earthly glories to seek the glory of God and the establishment and the progress of his kingdom. Because only one kingdom in this world will endure. Are you in it? 
through faith in Jesus Christ? Are you of it because of His grace toward you? And are you for it in thought and in word and in deed? Then pray with Moses. Perhaps there have been times, those of you who are parents, when your child has come home and they've been given a project at school or perhaps there's a, a toy that they've been given for a birthday or something of that order. They, they've got to put something together and you watch them at work and you think, this isn't going so well. <laughs> They're struggling with the instructions. They're not putting this together particularly well. I remember my daughter... She loves owls. And she got this wooden owl statue. And there were vertical pieces. And there were horizontal pieces. And there were pieces that slotted in between the vertical and the horizontal pieces. And if I remember correctly, all the instructions were in Chinese. <laughs> She's a worker. And she did her best. But she needed her father. We went by pictures. We couldn't read the instructions. That's not a problem with our Heavenly Father, you understand. But work from the lesser to the greater, if you will. And we sat down together. And she began to work on her owl. And I sat next to her. I had my hands over hers. We worked through the instructions. We began to put the owl together. She looked at me when she was struggling. She was too young. And you wouldn't expect her to say, would you? Daddy, will you establish the work of my hands? <laughs> but there was a look in her eyes that said much the same thing. And a father who loves her put his hands over hers and helped her with the work that she was too frail and too feeble to accomplish by herself. And the owl was built. I have to say that because it was these hands, it didn't last very long. <laughs> but that will never be the case with the work of the God of heaven, my friends. When you're struggling and when you're burdened and when you're wearied and when you're grieved and when it looks like you're just botching the work you look to your Father in heaven you take it to Him and you say, oh God for your sake I will still do my best but let your favour rest upon me oh God, establish the work of my hands for the lasting good of your people and the lasting glory of your name. Yes, I do, with all my heart, the Lord granting me grace. Amen.